All right, well, that's enough about next week. Let's talk about this week, shall we? Well, I've been given the assignment to close out our orthodoxology series, and I'm glad I only have to preach once because I have trouble with that made-up word. Um, But this series has made me feel smarter and more confident in my knowledge and understanding. I feel like I've not only been to church, but I've been to seminary. And I know that many of you feel the same, too, because you've been reaching out to Pastor Justin and telling him just how much this series has helped you. And just as a side note, if you ever want to bless our pastor, sending him a message, a text, or an email, and not just saying great message, but saying how God used him to specifically speak to you in a message, what you got out of a message, will just bless him so much. Because I wish you could just kind of see behind the scenes of how much he labors over and pours over each message each week. So when you share what God is showing you and teaching you, that just encourages him. And we celebrate it together. We're so thankful that God is moving in this church and that God is using Pastor Justin to do it. Well, if you have your... I'm laughing because we have a little meeting ahead of service, and um, they said, we practice clapping for you in huddle. And I heard one person, I was like, they must have been in huddle, so thank you. Um, Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And the message that's on my heart, it's a simple message today. It's not groundbreaking, it's not theologically deep, but it's practical, and my goal is to help equip you and help you out. I believe that if you'll lean in this morning, you'll leave here feeling more confident and equipped with some practical handles for what we have been studying. We spent the first three weeks of this series helping you to know how to know, and today I want to show you how to know how to go. You see, you can have a head full of knowledge, full of theology, full of doctrine, but what good is it to you if you don't know how to walk it out? We have to be able to apply what we know. We have to be able to walk out the right truths of the Bible. Now, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and he understood this concept. And he would write all of his letters, and he wrote several of them, kind of in two sections. He'd start with doctrine and theology and information, and then he would give direct application. This is how you do this. It's important because you have to understand something before you can do it. In Ephesians uh, chapters 1 through 3, Paul is showing us the big picture of who we are in Christ. In chapter 1, he lays out how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ and how we have spiritual insight and power. In chapter 2, he goes on to say that we used to be dead, but now we're alive. We used to live in darkness, but now we don't. In chapter 3, it's all about how we're his sons and daughters and how you've been brought in. He's giving us what you might say is the orthodox, knowledge that we need. And up to this point, he's just been giving us information. But then starting in chapter 4, he shifts and he gets practical with us. Now, he has not asked us to do anything up until this point. But in chapter 4, he says, okay, guys, God's given these standards. Now you need to start living them out. You need to put them into practice. He's giving the why and now he's giving the how. Doxology means praise. When we live out what is right and true, we bring praise to God through our actions. 
So in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, it says, Therefore, I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. The first instruction that Paul gives us is to walk worthy. So because of that, I'm calling this message today, it's in the walk. Would you tell your neighbor, it's in the walk? Now tell your other neighbor, you heard her, it's in the walk. I've preached a number of messages here at Velocity Church, and truthfully, I've enjoyed some of them more than others. Some of them I've tried to completely block out of my memory and have erased from any kind of YouTube um, so that nobody has to relive those. But if I could pick any topic to preach on, I usually gravitate towards the subject of calling because understanding our calling is so vital to walking out our faith. We've all been called. The call on you is less about what you do and more about whose you are. You see, God chose you. He called you out of darkness. He has a unique gifting and work for you to do, and it's our responsibility to walk that out. And if you don't know your calling or where to start, well, might I suggest you go to Essentials right after service. We can help you start to figure this out. But we're a part of the family of God, and we've been given some responsibilities. You know, in our natural families, there are certain expectations and responsibilities that you have. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but I feel like we're all friends, and you won't judge me too harshly, but I've never been good at giving my kids responsibilities, teaching them how to do things by making them do things. I've been a mom for almost 17 years. We've never had a chore chart. Uh, They've never had a pet to care for, and they never will. (laughs) They don't really have daily things that they have to do. You know what they do have? A cushy life. Now I'm working on correcting this, and it's getting better, but it's so hard. I would say that this is probably one of my biggest parenting regrets so far because the older they've gotten, the more I've realized just how important it is to teach my kids how to do things, not just tell them about it. I have visions of my future daughters-in-law being like, why did you do this to me? But we're working on it. It's important because you have to have some things that you are responsible for. When you are responsible for something, you feel the weight of it differently. I'm responsible for the message today, so you better believe I'm feeling this Sunday a lot different than I did last Sunday, or I will next Sunday. When you're responsible for a business deal, or running a business, or managing employees, or or leading a team, or a project, you feel the weight of that differently than if you just show up to work and clock in and clock out. 
That's why being aware that you have a calling and what that calling is is so important. You have work to do. You have responsibilities to fulfill. And as believers, we have a responsibility to walk worthy. But what does that mean? How do we do that? Why do we do that? I'm going to work to answer all of those questions today. So let's start with what does it mean? To walk worthy means to have an equivalent action to one's position. To have a comparable weight to another thing. Now when I think about walking worthy, I think about a scale. I have a picture for you. I think they have a picture for you of a scale. The scale has two sides, maybe. Imagine, is it up there? No. Imagine, a scale. It is? Oh, look up, Marissa. Okay, thank you. So much different up here. Okay, two sides of the scale. Let's get back on track here. Um, in thinking of walking out our faith, over here on this side, I'll be the scale, I'll be the human scale, we have truth. We have defined positions of biblical truth. This is the kingdom of God. Heaven is the goal, but right now we live on earth in a modern time, in a modern culture. And the truth about modern culture is it is not balanced with kingdom culture. There's a struggle between the two kingdoms. Now, as Christ's followers, we've been called to walk worthy, which means we have to keep this balanced. And we do that by applying and walking out the knowledge that we have. So if on this side, you're just stacking weight by coming to church and hearing a message and getting information and reading your Bible and doing what God's Word says and joining groups and having community that helps us, we're stacking weight here. But if we never put our faith into action over here, if we never take a stand for truth, if we never share truth, if our lives do not look different than those who don't know the truth, if we never do the things that we know to do, information will start to outweigh application and we will fall into deception. James 1.22 says it like this, but don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. That means, that's what it means to walk worthy. You've got a job to do. It is not about being a good person or a kind person. It's about taking responsibility and applying what you know. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. To walk worthy, you have to have both of these things. You need knowledge and you need application. Now, it is important to have knowledge because knowledge will help you form your beliefs. And what you believe will impact how you behave. 
And when we believe the right thing and behave in the right way, God is honored and glorified. Now, I know you're going to want to write that down, so I'm going to say it again. It is important to have knowledge because knowledge will help you form beliefs. And what you believe will impact how you behave. And when we believe the right thing and behave in the right way, God is honored and glorified. Paul tells us to walk worthy of our calling, and then in verse 2, he starts to tell us how. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul is saying, this is how you do it. It starts with humility and gentleness and patience and keeping the unity of the Spirit. Now, theological unity is important for believers because that's what keeps the right beliefs. Paul went on to say in verse 5 that there's one body, one Lord, one faith, one God, and one Father of all. So God set the standard, and it's our job to walk it out. We don't set the standard. The standard's been set. Week one of the series, we talked about right theology and that there are some essential beliefs that we as followers of Christ have to be together on. They are non-negotiables. Now, unless you live on an island all by yourself, chances are you're going to encounter someone that has a different way of thinking than you do. You're going to be around people who do not have the knowledge yet, and so that's why it's so important that we as Christians have theological unity that we have biblical unity, that we have convictions that are based in truth that we hold on to. When you meet people that don't yet have this understanding, that's where humility steps in. God's truth has done some things in our life, and we not only need to share the truth, but we should want to. We should want to. And if you want to have a chance to share truth with people who do not yet know it has to start with humility, with a humble spirit. Because behind every division, behind every conflict, behind every different point of view, behind strife, lurks pride. And pride causes chaos. I witnessed pride causing chaos this week at my kids' school. Yes, my kids' sweet little Christian school. Our school has been really blessed this year, and we are in a new facility, and we have a lot more space, and uh, at the beginning of the year, we got something wonderful, a very easy and logical traffic plan and flow for Carline. <laughs> now, if you have never done Carline, you know Carline can make you lose your religion, but... <laughs> But we have an easy plan. It's so easy that almost, almost half the parents can follow it. The other half, I think, just have issues with authority and rules, but that's a story for another day. Well, a day this week, two minivans decided to interpret the traffic flow in a different direction, and they ended up meeting nose to nose. They didn't hit each other, but one tried to exit where one tried to enter 
One was definitely in the wrong, but both refused to back down, and it became this whole thing. It became a scene. Words were exchanged, strong words were exchanged. Police came. All the parents got an email reminding us of the traffic flow pattern that we've had since September. It was really so stupid. And it's all because they chose pride over humility. It could have been handled in 97 different ways, and you better believe I thought of all 97. But the way they chose was pride. And it caused division, caused chaos. Humility is the secret virtue that makes unity possible. We need gentleness and patience. That doesn't mean that we're to be pushovers, but it also means that we aren't to push others over. It means that the good things that God has put in you, the strengths that he's given you, your gifts, your personalities, all of those things are good and wonderful, and you should soar in them. But if we let those things run without control, then we are of no good use to anyone. When others don't see things like we do, when they don't value things like we do, when they don't know the truth, we have a responsibility to share the truth. How you do it is important. We need to do it with gentleness and patience. You know, you can plow them over with your tactics and your strong opinions, and you have the potential to turn them off to ever being open or willing to hear the truth. Or you can hold true to the truth, and you can walk with them in gentleness and patience, you can bear with them in love while walking out your faith, and you can let your actions speak louder than your words because your voice should never be louder than your walk. Our witness, it's in the walk. The enemy of our soul loves nothing more than to create separation and division. He's been doing it since the beginning of time, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. His first tactic was to get between the created, Adam and Eve, and the creator, God. Saying things like, did God really say that? He just plants a little seed, a little wedge of distrust, and then he can kind of just walk away and let you do the rest. Satan has a limited season of authority, and he's going to make the most of every opportunity. And our most vulnerable place of attack is wherever we are divided. So we must take responsibility for guarding the unity seriously. It's on us. Jesus already did all that he needed to do. He shed his blood, he went to the cross, he died, he rose again. He did all that was required to produce unity, and now he says, church, it's on you. Tag, you're it. We have to uphold unity, but we also have to endeavor to have personal holiness. God is holy. He values holiness. He's glorified through holiness. There are angels that are flying around the throne of God continuously, day and night, never stopping, never ceasing, and they cry out, holy, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They don't say love, love, God is love. They say God is holy. Holiness is important. Holiness is imperative. That means it is not optional. It's not, I'll be holy when I get around to it. It's not, eh, I'm holy sometimes. It's holiness all the time. It's much easier, much easier to not call a sin a sin or just kind of look the other way when we see that God's standards and truth are not being held. It can be uncomfortable or intimidating to stand for truth. Sometimes it can be scary to stand for truth because the world has this whole cancel culture right now. You know, if we say what they don't want to hear, we get canceled. Now, this is going to get me off on a tangent here. You know what I've decided about cancel culture? It can kiss my butt. I'm over it. You can tell my husband's not here. Never say that if he was here. He doesn't like that saying. All right. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if God tolerated sin like we do? Wow, come on. My guess is that this whole mess that humanity has gotten itself into would perpetuate into eternity. No, thank you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't tolerate sin? God must deal with sin. And he did in Jesus, and he will fully deal with it in the second coming of Christ. But in the meantime, thanks, Mac. In the meantime, your call and my call is to personal holiness. Now, we are not perfect, and we are going to sin. We're going to deal with sin. There are things that we're going to face and that we're going to encounter, but holiness is not optional. We have to treat sin like a sin and actively work to get rid of it. Dealing with sin requires us to stop doing some things. If you read on in Ephesians 4 and then chapter 5, Paul gives us some very black and white instructions about sin and what to do. He says, hey, stop lying. Get your anger under control. Don't steal. This one might hit close to home for some of you, but he says, don't let foul language come from your mouth. There are plenty of other descriptive words that you could use. Then he says, let's deal with sexual immorality, impurity, greed. He says, those have no place among God's people. He's saying, this is what holiness is. There is no provision for sin. You don't get a sin clause when you come to Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, you're working through it. You'll get there eventually. He doesn't do any of that. He says very clearly, stop what you are doing. Put it away. Have nothing to do with that. And here's why. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. 
live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Then he talks about all those sins that I just mentioned, and then drop down to verse 6, it says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. He's not talking about people who don't yet know and have a relationship with Christ. He's talking about those of us that have named the name of Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. When we cross over that line of faith and ask him to forgive us of our sins, and we're made clean, and we continue to have active sin, we're in disobedience. When you know the truth and you disregard it, that is disobedience. When you have active sin in your life, when what you are doing directly contradicts God's standards and truth that is found in God's word, when you're not dealing with it or making any attempt to walk away from it, to be done with it, to change course, that is sin. God's truth has no gray areas. It is black and white. And if you are not sure, all you have to do is open up this book and it will tell you. Paul's warning us and saying, hey, you need to stop sinning. Get away from it because when you're allowing that sin to just hang around, you are going to put yourself under the wrath of God that is coming on everyone else that has not mentioned the name of Christ. Let me be very clear, friends. Jesus is coming back for us. Eternity is the goal. And we will give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, where we will receive what is due to us while in the body, good or bad. When you play around with sin, and you think, this isn't really hurting anyone, you couldn't be further from the truth. God takes sin seriously, and so should we. How do we walk out our faith? We endeavor to be holy. So far I've talked to you about what does it mean to walk worthy. How do you walk worthy? And now I want to share with you why you should walk worthy. Because if I could be honest with you, the idea of walking worthy is great, and we want to do it, but it's not always easy. It's like exercise. I know it's good for me. I know there's benefits to it. I know I should do it. Sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I want to eat chocolate-covered acai berries and watch TV. Sometimes I just don't make time for it. But when I can keep the why I do it in front of me, it pushes me ahead. It motivates me. It builds something in me that says, I can do this. Sometimes we need that with our faith. 
We need to stir up our faith. We need to know why we can do this. I have seven things for you. Seven simple things to remind you why walking worthy of your calling is important. I can tell some of you are looking at your watches thinking like, did she just say seven? (laughs) Yes, I did, but don't worry. I'm going to go quick. Why do we walk worthy? Number one, God is my father. Romans 8.14 says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. As believers, we have been adopted into God's family, and we are his sons and daughters. When we understand God is our Father, there is a sense of security in knowing that everything we need will flow from his hand. Two, Christ is my Savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his Son, Jesus, to save us. He died on the cross for us. He paid the price for our sins. He rose again, defeating death. And because of his death and resurrection, anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. Jesus saved us and made reconciliation with God possible, allowing us to approach God as our Heavenly Father. Number three, heaven is my home. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek one that is to come. And John 14, 3 says, I, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. God is preparing a place for us. And he's preparing us for the place he's got prepared. We are on a walk with him. And each day as we walk, we are one day closer to heaven. One day closer to the place that he's preparing for us. Number four, scripture is my guide. Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Nothing will change your life more than a relationship with the Word of God. And when we neglect the Word of God, we neglect the very thing that has the power to change our life. Scripture is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It shows us the way to go, what to avoid. It's a guide to help us. It's eternal and true. It never changes. It's always relevant, and it's the firm foundation that we can rely on. And no matter what else is happening in our lives, how are you doing? We're almost there. Number five, every believer is my family. John 17, 20 through 21 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We need each other. We are better together than apart. Jesus prayed that above all else, we would be one, that we would have love for one another. The relationship of believers is the way that people will know that God loves them just as much as he loves Jesus. Number six, the gospel is my message. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The gospel means good news, and good news is meant to be shared. We've been given an assignment known as the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We do it through our actions, through our conversations, and 
through our life. And finally, number seven, I told you I'd go fast. God's glory is my goal. Philippians 1, 9 and 11. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Everything we do in life should be to glorify God. When we live a life of good works, in other words, walking worthy of the calling on our life, it brings glory to our Father. Now, I know I just poured out a lot of information, and at the beginning of my message, I said that my goal was to equip you. We need to know how to know, but we also need to know how to go. That we walk worthy of the call that God has given us, it doesn't go without reward. You see, God sees it, and he blesses it. Let me show you in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28, 8 says, The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. It says he will command a blessing on you. Pippa and Reese, will you come here, please? When we obey God, there's a blessing that comes with it. Walking worthy of the call we received comes with a blessing. Pippa, come here. This is my daughter, Pippa. Pippa, can you say hi to everybody? Hi. Hi. I love holding you. <laughs> you know, when we put our faith in God and we walk with God, God holds us. He cares us for us. When we honor him with our life, God blesses us. We're in his protection and we're in his provision when we walk with God. That means everything you do will be blessed when you walk with God. That means your marriage is going to be blessed. It means your children are going to be blessed. Your business, your comings, your goings, it's all going to be blessed. They're all going to prosper and they're all going to be protected. But the enemy, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to be blessed. So he'll do everything he can to try and tear the blessing away. Reese, try and tear the blessing away from me. He can't do it. Try again. He can't, he can't do it. Why? Because when God sends a blessing down on you, the enemy can't remove it. That's why we have to walk worthy of the calling we've received. Thanks, guys. As I prayed this week and asked God to show me things and give me the words to say this morning, I realized that there's some areas that I haven't been completely walking worthy of the call of God on my life. I know better, but I've let some things creep in. It doesn't make me bad. It just means I need to realign. I wonder 
how many of us today would say, me too. There's some areas that I've gotten out of alignment. Maybe we've got the theology and we've got the knowledge and we've got the doctrine down, but sometimes you just don't walk it out like you should. Sometimes we just get tripped up. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another to stand for it. We can all have some blind spots and some areas where we need help. I don't know what you're carrying or thinking in this moment. I don't know the situations that you find yourself in daily. But I know we serve a God who knows. He knows all of it. We serve a God that knows that we're not perfect, and yet he loves us anyway. We're all still walking and growing and learning.